If you could spend a moment with some remarkable people and discover what their life sounds like, what would you ask? Welcome to Are We On Air, an audio encounter. I'm Armand Nafei, and each episode will feature one conversation with an inspiring friend of mine who will share with us the soundtrack to their life. Welcome back to another episode of Are We On Air? Uh, for this week, I have a very special guest and friend, a legend, musical legend, a DJ, and his name is Harvey Bassett, a.k.a. DJ Harvey. Welcome, Harvey. <laughs> Hello. How's it going? You all good? It's going well. <laughs> um I love that we just managed to do this interview. I mean, first of all, thank you and excited that you'll be part of this. Oh, you're welcome. Um, uh, and I love it takes that we both live in Los Angeles and it takes me, I have to drive cross country to New York <laughs> to be able to get you on the phone. Uh, I, I know that it's like, when, you know, all the, all the time I was living in London, um, there were so many places that, like tourists or people visiting London would, would go to see. So like Madame Tussauds or the Tower of London or whatever. And the entire sort of 25 years that I lived in London, I never went to, to see any of those places. But now when I, if I go as a tourist to visit, then I'll check them out. You know, it's all those things. It's like, I thought you would always be there. And then all of a sudden you're not. And that's when we decide to do it. So... But anyway, that's the sort of uh, the the vibe I'm getting from us trying to get this together. But but yeah, <laughs> absolutely true. I agree. You never visit your own city. Um, so the the purpose of this interview series is to kind of create a timeline, a soundtrack of your life to your life, and paint a picture of who you are, but through a couple of songs. And uh, so to begin with. What's your earliest significant musical memory that shaped you as an artist? Um, I suppose I would say my mother's record collection, which um, consisted of 50s rock and roll and then some, some sort of late 50s and early 60s jazz. Although I think even sort of actually probably sort of 40s and 50s jazz, sort of swing swing jazz. She wasn't into uh, what I suppose we would call uh, bop, bebop or modern or progressive jazz, but she liked things like uh, Acker Bilk and Benny Goodman and sort of, sort of swing jazz and stuff like that. But I suppose the first, you know, like um, what I would call traditional rock and roll, really, or popular rock and roll from the 50s, um, Johnny Cash and um, oh god, the, all the classics: Buddy, Buddy Holly, Elvis Presley, um, Jerry Lee Lewis, all, all these sort of artists. That was my the found the foundation. Apart from, of course, what was on on the radio at the time, and ra British radio with Radio One and stuff like that was always uh, was always a great influence. Uh, radio One was designed specially for. Uh, 
for for young people's popular music, there'd only been um, pirate radios, pirate radio stations before before Radio One came on with uh, playing popular music. But back to the original uh, to answer your question, I would say like probably something like um, uh, Heartbeat by by Buddy Holly. Heartbeat. Why do you flip, then give me a skip beat sign? Fiddly pat and sing to me love story And bring to me love's glory Heartbeat, why do you miss when my baby kisses me? Was your mom a big Buddy Holly fan as well? Oh yeah, yeah. She was she was really into partying and dancing and stuff in in the fifties before before she started a family. You know, would take a little back in those days. You would take a little box of records to a house party, and you would place your little box of records on the sideboard, and people would select from those records, and your records would have you would have your name on. In fact, my mum's records have a little sticker with her name and her phone number. So if they were left behind at the party, someone could phone up and be like, oh, Christine, you left your copy of Great Balls of Fire around at our house last night. You know, and whoever that was you went home with, you forgot your records. So, <laughs> but, then, but anyway, so, uh, so, so yeah, um, but yeah, my mum was into dancing to rock and roll, and then I, I think in you know in the before I was born, like in the late the late fifties, early sixties, sort of getting into because she really loved to dance, so getting into sort of swing dancing and jazz dancing and the polka and and stuff like that. But but yeah, she she was totally into into rock and roll and, and definitely into dancing. So you've got it from your mother. Now we know. <laughs> so. Um... Obviously, uh, like all of us, stuck or I guess was stuck. I think things are opening up again. But uh, did you listen to something particular that got that kept you going through quarantine? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think I think this this sort of last few well, whatever it is, like three or four months now of the sort of lockdown and quarantine stuff has definitely been a place. A zone, if you like, for sort of quite introspective stuff. You know, if you're on your own, it's it's definitely sort of looking inwards is a easy thing to do. I think you know, been doing an awful lot of of movie watching. Definitely at least one movie every night for the last three months, and I can't even remember half the ones I've I've seen. But I think um, as far as yeah, as far as definitely, you know, I'm I'm a musical person. Listen to music at some point most days. Um, Particular tracks. I mean, it could be anything from sort of "Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence" by with uh, the the Ryuichi Sakamoto sort of instrumental, which is virtually very sad and melancholy, and it makes me sort of wonder: is this, you know, the new normal, and that how depressing that might be?
through to uh, something like Dancing Queen by ABBA, which is one of my favourite records, and I'll sort of, you know, be scantily clad all on my own, spinning around the living room to, to <laughs> the, be the, best of, the best of ABBA, having the time of my life. So it's... it's <clears throat> I always find da dancing at home on your own is, is, is the, best, the best dancing of all. Talking about living and dancing and music, what three records would you choose to describe Harvey? Oh, God, three records to describe Harvey. Um, God, um, <laughs> again, Dancing Queen. <laughs> Love it. Um, you are the I Dancing don't know, Queen. Maybe like. <laughs> You know, maybe something like whole whole lot of love, Led, Led Zeppelin. You know, which to me is just a fan. You know, it's just a fantastic record. You know, I, I you know something like, you know, something like Voodoo Child, Jimi Hendrix. I'm a huge Jimi Hendrix fan. Uh, maybe something like um, uh, one of the big drum solo records, like Toad by Cream or something. Because I don't know if you know, but I have a I have my roots in in drumming in bands and stuff as a kid, and I still I still still play the drums a little bit. have a band no yeah i have a band called the wildest dreams and we're a sort of sort of you know in, in many respects sort of classic surf psych rock and roll blues based psychedelia psychedelia you know but sort of very, very uh, quite tri quite traditional in, in in many ways sort of three chord blues based psychedelic rock and roll um which i really enjoyed playing because for me If you understand the structure of that kind of music and, and you've played it for many years and you're working with good players, all you have to do, it's all done with eye contact. You know, you can, you can look at someone and, or even with a, you know, I can, I can call the changes within a, a progression by just the drum rolls that I do and nods and winks with the other musicians. So it allows you to relax into the, into just actually playing of, of the song. And <clears throat> after many years of looking at the screen, as it were, and, pro you know, programming house music and dance music, which I don't find a very natural, um, you know, usually the initial idea is, is, is a natural thing, but then actually sitting in front of a screen to, to arrange and produce the music it, is not a, such an organic process for me. So actually playing, playing drums and, and playing in a band is, is really good, natural, organic musical, musical fun for me. And yeah, we, I mean, we had an album out, it's probably like three or four years ago now, maybe even more. 
Um, and was meaning to do some more, but just haven't haven't got round to it. But I'm sure we'll, we'll do some more gigs and, and hopefully put out a new album, probably bleh, towards the end of next year at this point, because not much seems to be happening at, at this point, especially with sort of getting in a small room with a bunch of people and sweating over each other, you know, which is <laughs> what that would what that would in, entail, you know. Well, <laughs> talking about small rooms and sweaty people. <laughs> Uh, you've been playing. Yeah, well, my, you, some of my favorite things. favorite things. Yeah, <laughs> isn't that how we met? <laughs> Did it, was it, yeah, I'm sure it was some little closet somewhere, some some foul little. It's funny. I find myself. I, I know that you know you're, you've been associated with the with the, the Chateau Marmont and everything, and you know which is which is considered a very you know glamorous. Venue and over the years I've played in these, you know, absolutely amazing, wonderful, glamorous nightclubs with these atriums and you know these sort of these amazingly castellated rooms and all the rest of it. And you find yourself in the cupboard behind the DJ booth with all the mops and buckets, you know, crouched over some suspicious powders. You know, it's it's you know with a couple of supermodels or what? It's it's the it's the weirdest thing in the most dirty, grubby, horrible little little place. You know, with bad, and then you just hear this muffled <laughs> for the music, and it's you know, and that's where the sort of the mo turns out to be the most exclusive zone within the venue. Do you do you find that sometimes? <laughs> yes, I do. Like. <laughs> Isn't that funny how it went from being hidden in the corner with <laughs> nobody caring where the DJ is to this is now where everybody has wants to be. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about work, you've been playing for more than 30 years. Um, do, yeah. you, yeah, do you cherish a gig the most and you remember what was playing? Like, Did you have like an epiphany or a moment where you're like, this will stay with me forever? Uh, um... I mean, there's there's been many, 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 many moments. I mean, I always think, you know, playing some of the very Balearic classics at, uh, at Pikes is always a good one. Something like Just Can't Wait, Mar Mandy Smith, to play at, love that um, track. at Pikes. Or, <laughs> or something like, um, or, uh, I mean, probably the ultimate would be something like um, City Lights by William Pitt. Many, 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 many magical moments. But there, there, there's a track by Ten City called Devotion and um, sung by, uh, well, the band's Ten City. Byron Stingley is the, the vocalist 
there was a great moment uh, back in, I think, 19, the early 90s, maybe 1990, 1991, something like that, and uh, playing a gig at the Zap Club in Brighton in England, and the sound system blew up, which is what it usually did, and that sort of added to the drama while we were fixing it, you know, the tension would, would build. And it was just a rather nice magical moment when the audience started singing to me we, we want to give you devotion which oh. was the you know they were singing the the, the the ten city song and I just thought that I just thought that was absolutely marvelous and that one's that one stuck with me. It was a night that Miss Nude Australia um, stripped on, on the DJ booth of the Ministry of Sound and I played uh, Shirley Bassey's version of Come On Baby Light My Fire while she took all her clothes off. And uh, that was a fun well, for many, many reasons why that was a good memory. Um, Actually, God, now I think about it, there is something quite quite um, poignant, I suppose, because one of my endearing memories of, of that particular event was Miss Nude Australia's vagina reflecting in the bald, sweaty head of Gary, of Gary Saltzman, who was the... Um, the manager of Todd Terry at the time. And uh, very sadly, Gary Saltzman has recently passed away from, from uh, COVID. So that sort of brings that round to the mind. I didn't, that wasn't even a contrived thought. That just, that just happened. Wow. So uh, God rest his soul. Poor old Gary's gone. But I'll, I'll always have that, that Abs- just hilarious, endearing memory of a, a lusty Gary's, yeah, Gary getting a bit too close to the rear end of Miss Nude um, Australia and literally a perfect reflection of her vagina appearing on his sweaty forehead. <laughs> you know that it would be untrue. You know. talking about people who passed away um let's talk about larry larry levan that you also worked with in the early 90s 
Yes, yes. Did you guys exchange any records back in the day and what was the relationship like? Um, well, I met Larry when he came to DJ at the Ministry of Sound. Um, the only minor, minor problem was is that he didn't have any records. He, I think, had either um, sold or pawned or gave away, he, the, I think, you know, well, all his record collection since the, uh, the closing of the garage. I think he got into some, some difficult financial times and basically just didn't, didn't have any music. And I'd, and I'd heard stories that people had bought his records back for him, you know, seen his records for sale on a market store somewhere or in a storage clear-out sale and bought the records and gave them back to him. And I think he'd only just sort of like sold them again or given them away again or whatever. Anyway... So um, he came round to my house for a visit and also to, uh, to, to borrow my music to play. So he, um, and something that I thought was, was interesting, that, you know, the, the, the walls of my apartment were lined with all these 12-inch singles and LPs and stuff. And then there was a few small boxes of 7-inch singles And they were the boxes that he went to to see what kind of record collection I, I had. So he went to you know, the little boxes and started flicking through and pulling out all these little little seven-inch singles of records that he considered um, important records that he wanted to borrow and play. And um, things like that would be like um, Everybody's Salsa by Modern Romance, um, Makes You Blind by the Glitter Band. Um, um, Love is a Stranger, Eurythmics. Um, I mean, just, just all these things that in many respects I considered sort of 70s and early 80s Britpop, I suppose. He took those records and put them into a different context. So when you hear... I don't know, like, you know, Salsa Rhapsody, like the B, you know, the B side of Everybody Salsa Modern Romance on the Ministry of Sound sound system played by Larry Levan, all of a sudden it's just like, holy shit. It just comes into another, another dimension, another way, you know, the volume it's played at the time it's played, how it's played, you know, and he, that's something Larry was a master of, was, was the playing of records, which is... I mean, thought these days is considered, you know, everybody's a DJ. You've got your iPhone or your computer and your CDs and you, and you play for your friends or in the pub or in the bar or your house party or in the little club or whatever it is or on your, your, your podcast and blah, blah, blah. And it's, and it's seen as a, as a sort of an entry-level pursuit. But to actually be able to master the skill, the, the playing of records is something that could take you, you know, the, your entire life and you never quite get it right. You know, it's like being, maybe if you, you don't know how to do it, it's like being like colorblind or without rhythm or tone deaf or something. It's the same way if you have the, the skill, the way to deliver music. And Larry, Larry had that. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think what were, what were records that he and I sort of shared. There was... There was he he did have a, an acetate pressing 
of um, a re-edit of South Shore Commission's Free Man, which he had played on um, the Judge Jules radio show. And I've been very interested in that record. And it wasn't until I asked Larry what it was that it turned out it was, um, it was I'm not sure if it was actually his re-edit or maybe, um, maybe someone like Danny Crevitt or Francois Kvorkian's edit but I worked out that I couldn't get that version because it was an exclusive edit that appeared on a um, <clears throat> an acetate only, like a single a single copy. So that was really the catalyst for me to enter into the editing world. So it's like, how can I have that record? And the only way I could have that record in that configuration was to actually edit it myself on tape, stick it together, go down to the mastering house and have an acetate cut for myself. So Southsaw Commission Freeman was the first edit that I ever did. And that then went on to develop into with my buddy Jerry Rooney, become the, the Black Cock um, moniker or imprint or whatever it is, which to this day, some people call the sort of the, the great renaissance point of the disco re-edit. So that was as a direct result of of um, hanging out with with Larry Levan, and really we didn't. We, it's not like we talk. We didn't really talk about music. It's more about sort of food and drugs and sex and movies and stuff like that. You know the really important things. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, <laughs> music was something that me and Larry we we had that we had that co- covered. You know, so it wasn't something. You know, you. When you, when you, well, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't say I did, but Larry definitely had had that covered. So it wasn't something he needed to to, to discuss to be passionate about because he was a grand grandmaster. That's House Heritage on your Radical Radio, one of the first ever house cuts. Fingers Inc. and Mystery of Love. Another excellent selection from DJ guest Larry Levan. Larry, have you heard much of this uh, Belgian hardbeat house? No, not really. Tell me about it. <laughs> well, it's manic and it's crazy. And it's very, uh, apparently it's taking off in New York, this is what I've been told. But, uh... No, I haven't heard it. Now where we come from, right? Oh, no. There you go. Larry LeVan, thank you very much. This next record is just about the last one we've got time for from you. Here's hoping if you do hang around in this country, you'll uh, come and visit us again. Yeah, it's been fun. I like it. What's the last one? You're playing it off a tape. This um, is an edit of a classic uh, called Free Man by South Shore Commission. Well, another legendary person that you are associated with, one way or another, is uh, Freddie Merc- Mercury, uh, with your re- residency in Ibiza. Um, yes. Have you guys actually ever met? Um, Did you ever meet back in the days in the UK? And do you have a favorite no, Freddie? No, no. Yeah, I mean, there's many. As a, I mean, I, ne- I never met Freddie. I, I always loved Freddie with all my heart. He was. I mean, unless you're English you don't understand the deep love that the English public have for Freddie Mercury because he he's one of the classic sort of camp eccentric 
Englishman, although I believe he's from Zanzibar. Hmm. But anyway, I, I think even, even if uh, Freddie isn't English, I think that it, all English people think he is. He's an, he's an, honor, an, honorable, an, an honorary Englishman, bless his heart. And so he, you know, through their sort of rock hits and all this stuff, and through, through the years, just ev- everything about him was so in- endearing to the, to the English psyche and the English public. And, and then through his personal sort of transition into, into ultimately, ultimately coming out as not only gay, but having HIV and, 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 and stuff like that, you know, just drew just drew the hearts and minds of, of the sensitive side of English, English people to, towards him. And he, you know, he was, he was just, I mean, I can't think of anyone else similar, maybe someone like El- Elton John in, in, in some respects, mm. as a sort of a, a gay icon that ba- ba- back, in the, back in the mid-70s as well, it was like, Elton John, gay? Like, no way. Like, no, he's, he's got married. He got married, you know, like, Freddie, Freddie, Mer- Freddie Mercury's got a girlfriend. Like, there's no way, no way is Freddie gay, you know. And then, and also, what was his name? Rob, Rob, Rod, Rod, Rob, Rob Halford from Judas Priest. Yeah. No way is Rod Halford gay, no way. He rides a motorcycle, he wears leather, there's no way. He, he sings Breaking the Law and <laughs> Running with the Devil or whatever, all this kind of stuff, you know. And, and there was this sort of, this sort of gentle denial to allow people to enjoy him but retain their homophobia. But anyway, m- m- moving on. So, so I never got to meet, meet Freddie, but just a, for a love of, of everything about him, you know, and moving into the 80s with the more sort of, I don't know about flamboyant, but things like, you know, I want to break free. And, and then towards the end of like too much love will kill you and all those kind of things are just profound. And, and um, I mean, sort of, although, although, you know, although we never met, I had that sort of English public style relationship, you know, this one sided thing. And then in the last, in recent years, I'm associated with Freddie through my um, residency at Pike's Hotel, which um, the venue at Pike's, known as Freddy's, is what was Freddy's private suite at, at Pike's Hotel. So that was, um, I think when Pike's was first being built, Freddy was one of the first guests who'd shown up and met Tony Pike and, and asked about, you know, basically having somewhere kind of private to stay. So uh, Tony built a wall around what was the old Finca Villa of, of Pike's and turn that into the sort of the Moroccan zone of, 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 of Freddy's. And um, then famously, uh, Freddy's, four, I think the 40th or 41st birthday was held at Pike's, and then that's where famously there's the dwarves with the bowls of cocaine <laughs> on the That was the rager. And the, and the st- <laughs> yeah, the, the strippers jumping out of the cake and people on horseback and... All this kind of, you know, and it was, it went on for days and days and days and just a wonderful hedonistic celebration of life on Freddie's 40th. Um, and then, you know, for, for forever will, you know, will that space be uh, associated 
with Freddie, and then I went on to to call my night in tribute to Freddie. You know, it's been it's held at the, the at the at the the private suite. I went to call my play call call my night uh, Mercury Rising, which is a bit of a tribute and all the double entendres that goes along with 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 Mercury Rising. So I mean, that's my my sort of association, really. Although mm. I never met Freddie. I would like to think in some tiny respect we keep the keep the fire burning. Somebody somebody can somebody find Somebody, somebody love. Okay, let's do it. You're also a fantastic surfer, and that's another passion of yours. I was wondering. Um, How would you describe the feeling of riding a wave? Like, and is there like a record that kind of emulates that? Um, hmm. um <laughs> I mean, surf. I, I'm, I'm not one for exercising very much. I say to people, I don't go to the gym. I go to the John. So um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I. Uh, You know, I'm not one for sort of running around for no reason except to get fit or whatever. So my 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 main my main sort of physical exercise is either dancing or or surfing. And sometimes I do a sometimes I'll take the skateboard down the street or whatever. But I so so surfing for me is is my main sort of form of physical exercise really. Apart from, you know apart from dancing around the, the living room, and, and and I think it's actually a great form of exercise. It's, You most of the time it's pretty low impact, you know, and you're you're working all all the all the muscle groups and your cardio and all the rest of it, and you're bobbing around in the water with the dolphins and the the pelicans and the sunshine and stuff like that, and some really sort of strange dudes in rubber suits, and um, it's uh, you know it's it's a it's a lot of fun, and then and then you put in you know you in you pay into the paddle bank as it were by paddling around. And then the payback is catching the wave and getting this 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 almost free ride, I suppose. So, and in I don't know, the sort of the simplest way, you're actually riding cosmic waves of the sun. I don't know if you know how that, that waves work, but basically the 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 heat rays of the sun heat up the 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 air and the ocean, and they they. They cause areas of low pressure, and the low pressure creates ripples, and those ripples, basically a storm created by wind, um, blow across the ocean, and they create like the ripples of a, in a in a in a puddle, and they go gain momentum as they move across the ocean and, and, and group together until it's tripped up by the by the contour of the coastline of the of the coral reef or the rocks or the sand or whatever it is, and that creates a wave and that's what you're attempting to to ride so when you're when you're actually riding a wave you're 
you're so in tune with the universe, you know, you're, you're, you're riding cosmic energy of the universe. It's, it's pretty amazing, you know, and then the, you just get this, you know, you get an, a, a natural high. It's like the same, it's similar, I don't know, to if, when you watch people ice skating, it's everyone's happy. Have you everyone ever seen mm. anybody unhappy ice skating? <laughs> well, no. until the fall. It's, it's <laughs> impossible. Yeah, the, uh, apart from getting a wet ass or something from falling, <laughs> falling on, your, on your backside. But even then, that, that makes you smile. Yeah, right? that's true. It's true. And as far as surfing records, I mean, it would have to be... God, anything by the Beach Boys, like Good Vibrations, um, Surf's Up, and you know, it could be anything, Surfer Girl, any in my room. Well, uh, talking about waves, let's talk about another wave, which is the love, love and heartbreak wave, <laughs> if there is such thing. What's your go-to falling, uh, falling in love or heartbreak song? Oh, <laughs> um, I don't know, something like uh, Frankie Lyman, Why Do Fools Fall in Love? There you go, that, that's a nice, like, uh, nice, nice teen Teens. In fact, I saw. You know what I love to watch? I love to watch those infomercials from like <laughs> love hits from the sixties. I love those compilations. And they've got like, <laughs> uh, and I saw I like half of last night watching. It's like Neil Sedaka. It's like breaking up is hard to do and it's like all these amazing songs. And then they'll have like Gladys Knight will come on and I like those just sort of. Classic soul love songs, you know, stuff from the 50s and 60s that, that in many respects would probably be considered overplayed or stuff. I'm, you know, I'm not afraid to enjoy, enjoy the classics. <laughs> After you're falling in love and being in love, what's the sexiest song? Um, God. I suppose, I mean, something like Let's Get It On, Marvin Gaye, like M2 Me, Juicy Fruit is a good one. Um, love to Love You Baby, you can't go wrong with that. Absolutely anything by Barry White. I'm a huge, huge Barry White fan. So sometimes I can't even listen to it because I start, I start crying. I just sort of fall on the floor and, 
and uh, at, the, at the feet of the walrus of love. To wrap up our little chat, uh, as always, fun. Okay, okay. Um, if your life would be a movie, what would play in the end credits? I mean, that, that's a good one. I mean, what would play at the end credits? Maybe the, the, as the credits roll at the end of my life story um, movie played by... Well, one, who would play me? Um, I don't know. Tom Cruise, uh, like in your last film. <laughs> yeah, Tom, Tom Cruise played me in the last movie. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, something like Guilty by Barbara, Barbara Streisand or, or yeah, something by, by Babs. Well, lastly, uh, we're talking about ending, and uh, I remember your infamous. First of all, I'm curious why you like Alpha Recordings. It's a great company, but also I remember that infamous scene. I don't know when and where it was when you just threw that mixer after the end of your set onto the floor and playing Shirley Bassey. My life. <laughs> that for me is oh, not. Yeah, this is my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's the well, best ma- end of ending of a scent ever. <laughs> Whoever hasn't seen it go to YouTube. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm. You know, I consider myself. I consider myself an entertainer. And that, that's what I was doing. I was being an entertainer. It was the last record of, of, of the show. And I thought, I could, this is my opportunity to end the show with a bang. And also there's a certain amount of the blood of Keith Moon sort of coursing through my veins as a drummer. And I'd always wanted to do that sort of smash the drum kit up or whatever, or smash, or even like, you know, like set the decks on fire, like Jimi Hendrix burning the guitar at the end, you know, doing some form of sort of basically just just entertainment. There was no, there was no, there was no malice or anger or, or whatever within, within that, that action. It was basically just pure entertainment. And, and it, was, it was very polarizing for the crowd. Some people were there like, yeah, that was the most amazing. And other, other people were like, drop dead, you <laughs> asshole. You know, so it's like... <laughs> But um, but yeah, that one went that one went down. That was my first gig on my first visit to Australia. So I really sort of, you know, opened the opened the gates there on on how people considered con- considered me in 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 in, in Australia. So. <laughs> well, Harvey, 
It's been a pleasure as always. Yeah, man, it's good to have a chat because I haven't I've, I haven't spoken to you since we last we met had at, dinner uh, at Chateau. Chateau. So, yeah, like yeah, like months, months and months, months. ago. So, so yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll all be back on back on track in the next next year or so, and we can all party hard together again and enjoy the things that. Yeah, we can enjoy those things that we were taking for granted. We can now enjoy them even even more. Funny how a lonely day can make a person say, what good is my life? Funny how a breaking heart can make me start to say, what good is mine? Funny how I often seem to think I'll find another dream in my life. Till I look around and see this great big world is part of me and mine. this episode's playlist, visit areweonair.com, where you'll be able to enjoy the full playlist mentioned in this conversation. <laughs> <laughs>